Hey Church, it's Marissa, and this week for announcements, I have three things for you. The first is for our youth. Youth, on Saturday, March 27th, we are going to be having our spring break day camp at Morningstar. This is going to run from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., and it's going to be a day full of fun and connection, and we would love to have you there. It's $45, and if you're interested, be sure to check your email for the registration link and more information. And secondly, on Sunday, March 28th at 1 p.m., we're going to be having our outdoor spring cleaning bee. This is a time for anyone who is willing and wants to get their hands dirty to maybe have a conversation with someone else outside um, to get our church ready for the spring. We would love to have you join us. And lastly, for our members, our AGM dates have shifted. Due to some hiccups, we've had to shift our dates and they are now April 16th to April 30th. Be sure to keep your eyes open for the day before or the day of that event uh, for your personalized email to have access to our AGM. Good morning, KGF family. I want to share with you something that my family and I have been doing since we have been challenged to memorize Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. Here we have this card and we have the verses printed off here, as well as a picture on the top corner. We have this set on our kitchen table so that every time we share a meal together or we pass by the table, we take the time to challenge and encourage one another to memorize and meditate on scripture. So here is Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, friends, so hopefully, uh, thank you to the Perrys, hopefully you're also memorizing Philippians 2, 5 to 11. We're trying in our home. It's uh, loud and adventurous, but maybe we're getting there. Um, Easter's coming. We're just a few weeks away from Easter. And hey, are you thinking about how you could uh, impact your neighbors, your friends, and tell the story of Jesus? There's many ways you can do it. Have you thought of maybe the great Pascha share? Maybe you're a family that makes Pascha bread, which is wonderful, have to say, on Easter. Maybe share some with your neighbors. We actually have this real practical idea. Um, there's a there's these little packages, little little neighborhood packs with like a message of hope. It's a little little scripture uh, story in there. You can add parts of uh, things that you want to share with your neighbors. And it's just a way, if you have a relationship with a neighbor and you want to share some good news and say, hey, here, happy Easter, you can actually pick these up from the from our church office. So give us a shout, pop by, and you can you can create your own little package with the message of hope and to share with somebody that you have a relationship with and want to do that. So, um, yeah, make sure you do take advantage of that. Are you in a hub or a group or triad? We really want you in, in something like that, connecting to make disciples, because every week we're heading toward a question. Uh, this week's question 
is this. What is needed for you to embrace the necessary call of God on your life? What is needed for you to embrace the necessary call of God on your life? And kids, there's lots of necessary things that need to happen in a family. Most of them we don't tend to like very often, but here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to draw a picture of a necessary thing that you do to help your family and then talk about it with your family and maybe send some pictures in because we'd love to be able to show them. I'm assuming we'll get a bunch about doing dishes or sweeping the floor or something like that. But yeah, what's something you have to do to help your family? Start there. I want to show you this really cute picture. Look at there. That's our puppy. Have you ever thought of what the difference is between better and necessary? The difference between better and necessary. Our family just welcomed a new dog at the beginning of the year. That's Charlie. He's so cute and cool. Um, that didn't last very long. Now, it, it, it's been a few years since our last dog died, and so I've noticed something interesting since we've welcomed a new dog into our home. Um, this dog becomes your responsibility, and you become something that's really peculiar. You become a poop picker. Uh, for the last number of years, I have not been a poop picker. In fact, if I went for a walk and saw the stuff on the ground, I could just walk by it because it wasn't my poop to pick. But now, now that it's my dog, that stuff is suddenly my responsibility, even though I didn't make the mess. It is much better not to be the poop picker because poop picking is actually kind of weird, if you think about it. But now that I have this cute little guy that my kids love and are learning to take care of, it suddenly is necessary to be a poop picker and to teach my children the necessity of poop picking. But they don't pick up other puppies' poop. That would be preposterous and pe peculiar. All this poop picking is really a predicament. And it exposes the difference between what is better and what is necessary. Can you think of anything that you do that is necessary, but not really to your advantage? Name a few things right now, right where you are. Think about them or talk about them with the people you're with. What are some of the things that you do that are necessary, but not really to your advantage? And kids, hopefully you're drawing a picture of a necessary thing that you do for your family. Life is actually full of these necessary things, these choices. Because very often we choose what is necessary rather than better because of relationships. Have you ever noticed that? Why are we poop pickers for our dog and not someone else's? Well, because he's our dog and it's part of our bond with this animal. We clean up our own kid's vomit. Or if we have aging parents, we do things we didn't think we'd have to because of the necessity born out of relationship. We will often do for a friend what is necessary, but not always better for us. And in fact, we even do it willingly and happily. My mom spent the last few years of her life unable to feed herself. And she had friends who would come every day to feed her meals. And it was not an enjoyable task. It was not convenient. It was emotionally hard because it often led to her having horrible choking spells. But you find out what real friendship looks like when necessary 
is required. In fact, a friendship, a friendship where I won't do what is necessary for the other person, but only what is better for me, is not really a friendship, is it? We will do for our family what is necessary, even if we don't like it, because of an attachment and kinship that is indispensable. If we only do in a family what is better for me, a family actually crumbles, doesn't it? Are you starting to feel it? Hope you are. Because life actually thrives and becomes more joyful when we do what is necessary. The world is better when we do what is necessary. But to do what is necessary requires some deep internal work, a deep conviction of what is ultimately true and worthy. And to be the church, the thriving servants and saints of God in the world requires this deep work and conviction. Now, we're continuing our journey through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in this Roman city of Philippi, beginning with the second part of Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your scriptures turned there, the words will be on the screen here, but we want to live in the word together. Philippians 1, this is the last part of verse 18. Paul says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now just stop there for a second. What is Paul rejoicing about? Well, he's writing from prison, if you remember, and he's talking about rejoicing and joy. It just seems so counterintuitive. We've spent this last year in pandemic Are we continuing to rejoice? Paul's rejoicing because despite all that he's personally facing, he's focused on the main thing, that Christ is being proclaimed. Pastor Joel talked about that last week. And when you see the main thing happening, you rejoice and you continue to rejoice. See, I I could get really focused on how tough the past year has been, how it's unfairly changed the work God's called me to do. But I'm learning to rejoice that the main thing is happening in unexpected ways. I rejoiced over the past few weeks hearing God's word being proclaimed by others in our church fellowship in powerful ways. I see leaders rising up of hubs who are helping others grow as disciples. I see our youth discipleship team meeting in the park and then praying together and hearing stories of growth and courage. I'm seeing growth in my own life as my family sharpens my own discipleship and integrity, we can continue to rejoice. Paul did. Are you? Rejoicing is a necessary discipline right now because complaining is just a natural gag reflex we seem to have accepted. And it's not the spirit of Jesus, is it? So Paul continues. He's continuing to rejoice, but then look at what he says in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Stop there. Paul is speaking conviction 
and expectation. He's convinced of two things. That the prayers of God's people are effective. And that the presence of the Holy Spirit will turn out for his deliverance. And he's in prison, right? Listen, Paul knows that prayer is powerful. And to be the church is to be committed to prayer. Prayer is the church's first work. It's not our last resort. What are you facing that you're not sure you can overcome? Are you convinced yet that only God's intervention will bring transformation? Are you convinced of your need for the intercession of the saints? Our prayer updates come regularly, often for our church family. Are you signed up to receive them? Are you reaching out for prayer? Are you inviting people to pray for you? Paul is celebrating that the church in Philippi is being the church by praying for him. Here at KGF, prayer is growing among us. Paul knows that the prayers of the Philippians are crucial. And he's also convinced that the gift of the Holy Spirit is crucial to live with expectation. The Spirit of Christ speaks in our deepest valleys and dungeons, God himself speaks to us. And Paul couldn't hear the prayers of the Philippians, could he? Thousands of kilometers between Rome and Philippi. But Paul could hear the Holy Spirit speak words of life and hope. A few weeks ago, uh, Jen and I had to make a really difficult decision that impacted her. It was a painful time of making a decision between what is better and what is necessary. We debated deeply about that from every angle and possibility. You know what it's like. And we had people praying for us. But when it came right down to it, we paused together. We silenced ourselves and asked the Holy Spirit to speak. And he did. The gift and presence of the Spirit centered the moment and gave expectation despite the conflicting feelings. You see, it takes courage to do what is necessary, not just what's better. It takes courage to do what's necessary. And prayer and the Spirit are what Paul knows brings courage. So that, he says, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Has this become your desire yet? Christ exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul could rejoice that the gospel kept being proclaimed regardless of his opinion of the messenger. That's what he was talking about previously in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Because he knows it's not the messenger, but the good news of Jesus that's the main thing. But now he can rejoice because regardless of his own life or death, because the exaltation of Jesus is his greatest desire. Prison was not Paul's Lord. His circumstances were not the definer of his purpose and his joy. No, Jesus Christ and his good news, the forgiveness of sins for all, the arrival of a new, never-ending kingdom of peace and justice that had arrived when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is now forming a people who are the presence of Christ in the world. This was the main thing. To be the church requires we stay focused 
on this main thing, but to stay focused on Christ. His exaltation, whether by life or by death, requires great courage. And this comes through prayer and the Holy Spirit. Who is up for the, these necessary things on our own strength? None of us can do it on our own strength. The necessary things require a community standing together in prayer, even when they can't be together, which was the case for the Philippians and Paul. And the internal power and the witness of the Holy Spirit reminding us of our true identity and hope and expectation. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name's Philip Serez. I was privileged to be a teammate of Philip's when I served with Multiply, which is our Mennonite Brethren Global Mission Agency. And uh, Philip serves as part of the team in Eastern Canada. He lives in Ontario. And in the last few months, he received the terrible diagnosis that he has ALS. And it's breaking my heart for my brother. But I want you to listen to his story. Please listen to Philip Serez. All right, I want to introduce you to uh, my good friend, Philip Serez. Philip and I served together with Multiply, and Philip continues to be a mission mobilizer and an inspirer of churches toward mission in Ontario, where he and his wife, Robin, served together. Philip, I'm uh, so grateful for you. Um, you have received very interesting news in the last number of weeks, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the diagnosis that you're living sure. with. Sure. Well, hi, Phil, and hello, church. It's a pleasure to be before you today. Um, glad to share a little bit of my life with you. So for 20-plus years, I've been working with Multiply or MB Mission, um, mobilizing tra and training young people into mission, specifically. Um, last fall, I got news about why my voice was deteriorating, and that is I have bulbar onset ALS. That means my my brain has a breakdown with various muscles in my body. It starts with my voice. It moves to my ability to swallow and my ability to breathe. Wow, Philip, I, uh, yeah, we're praying for you, brother. And I'm so encouraged by you and how you're walking into this. And I just wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how this diagnosis has impacted your sense of um, identity and your discipleship. What, what's, what's impacted that? Well, you know, everything has changed about kind of my scenario, but nothing has changed about God. Um, this doesn't make a dent. And who he is and how trustworthy he is or my faith in him. And, um, and uh, but there was a temptation with this sickness to bond with it. Um, and to really take on the identity of ALS. And it was sneaking, like wanting to leverage this sickness 
for some kind of gain, whether it's maybe getting a parking handicap parking spot or or just enjoying the attention I'm getting um, and and um, or any sort of favor that comes from being sick. Now I'll receive God's good gifts and his church is beautifully generous but in my heart I won't bond with ALS I won't serve it I won't be subjugated by it and I won't worship it in any way I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ I am his servant. I am his son. And that is, um, is a, it's a really tricky journey with sickness to become completely self-focused or take on the identity of a victim. Hmm. And um, I resist that because I am not a victim. I've been bought by the love of the Father and by the sacrifice of His Son. Oh, House Philip, talk a little bit. You you said to me a little bit about how the importance of Romans eight in this. Could you talk a little bit about that? What Paul writes in in Romans chapter eight? Yeah, well, I mean, reading reading the chapter from this new vantage point is quite profound, but. How, how Paul declares our sonship or our daughtership as our primary identity. He says how his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Hmm. He says that when we're led by the spirit, we're children of God. So none of that has changed. These are relational covenants that don't change when a tragedy happens or a sickness um, happens. Um, These things don't change. So I rely more deeply than before on the truth of this identity. And I want to live from this vantage point, even as someone with ALS. That's awesome. That's so encouraging. Um, You you also said to me um, the difference between a setback and a setup. Could you describe what that means a little bit in your life right now? Obviously, this is devastating news and I don't belittle the grief or the sorrow that is growing in me and my family but from God's perspective um, he is he is in control he is loving and he's trustworthy and he has a plan so I choose to put my trust in that. And someone said to me 
this is not a setback. It's a setup. <laughs> and um, that was, you know, as disciples, our one and primary desire is to give God glory and to introduce people to him. So this sickness in the last month, I can testify, is a setup to give God more glory and to introduce um, more people to that love. And I have conversations with struggling Christians, with non-Christians, with people even that I have broken relationships is being mended and we're walking together. So God is restoring and reconciling and bringing more glory to himself by through this journey. It's a setup, not a setback. Well, thank you so much, Philip, for joining us this morning. I want to end this time by praying for you and for your wife, Robin, mm-hmm. and your family. Uh, but I, I also... You know, in this this has been a year of lament with COVID and everything. And I just want you to know, part of the lament for me is hearing this news for you. But you are also one of the deepest encouragements to me uh, to keep pressing on for the glory of God. And so, so thank you. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on Philip and Robin and their family. Lord, let your glory continually and in greater measure be revealed through his life. And we pray in the name of Jesus for the pushing back of those uh, cells that are not working properly and the healing that comes through Jesus. And uh, Lord, encourage his heart today and thank you for the encouragement he's been to us as a church family in Kelowna. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Philip. God bless you, brother. Peace to you. It takes courage to stay focused on Christ being exalted in our bodies, in my real life, in the real world. It takes courage to see life or death as the opportunity to exalt Jesus. And it's from this courage and the courage that my brother Philip is experiencing, from this courage, Paul delivers his personal mission statement. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says now, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Read it with me, you ready? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be alive in this body, in this body, is Christ. It's for him. To lay down this body in death is gain. It's literally, the word is literally profit. It's profit (laughs) to lay down my life for Christ. And if I die in Christ, it is for gain. This is what Paul has become convinced of. All of life in the body, right now, right here, touching this chair, sitting in this place, interacting with my family and my neighbors, doing the work I'm called to do, poop picking even, All of this life in the body and all of life into eternity is focused on the beauty and the goodness of God's reconciling love revealed in Jesus Christ. 
And this perspective is a game changer for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It transforms us. It transforms our circumstances. It will transform a city and a world. And it takes a powerful and a prayerful community and the power of the Spirit to live such an inspiring life. So how would you fill in the blanks of this statement? You'll see it on the screen here. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. How would you answer that? For me to live is, where do you find true life? What is life all about? And to die is fear, anxiety, worry, uncertainty, nothingness, or what is it? Those blanks should not be filled in flippantly or haphazardly. That's deep soul work. That's deep soul work to answer that question. That's the deep soul work Paul was doing, a refining process that brings us to a place of clarity. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul goes on to explain his conviction as it, and his internal wrestling in prison as he faces the real possibility of death. Verse 22. For... Uh, I'm going on, if I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now here's the holy tension. Did you catch it? To go on living in this body means a life of fruitful labor for Christ because for Paul, Christ is the main thing. To lay down his life and die is to depart the suffering of this world and be with Christ because Christ is the main thing. Labor for Christ or be with Christ, this is the disciples' holy tension, our glorious option, which is rooted in one great hope, Clearly, to be with Christ would be better. Better than rotting in prison or enduring the pain of this world. But listen, believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, believers don't make decisions based on what is personally better. Are you listening? Believers don't make decisions based on what is personally better, but what is necessary for Christ to be glorified in the world and what is necessary for others to grow in Christ and see his beauty. This is, by the way, what shapes the Christian understanding of things like medical assistance in dying as well. That we see the life in the body as precious and not to be laid down haphazardly if even in our dying, Christ can be glorified. But here's where better and necessary come back into the picture. Because the real tension, the real tension isn't about life or death. Because both have Christ as the main thing for the per and, uh, in purpose for the believer. The real tension is between better and necessary. And this is the tension that is only a tension because of relationship. Paul is bound to the Philippians in Christ. So he can't simply decide what is best for him 
but what is necessary for them and for the body of Christ. What is necessary for the church to be the church. That's what he's thinking. What does Jesus really need? Christ-centered and Christ-forming and Christ-glorifying necessity must guide us. The better departure from suffering here would be for Paul's sake, wouldn't it? But the necessary is for the sake of others. It is more necessary, he says, for you. Do you see that? It's more necessary for you that I remain, that I persevere in prison, that I receive what the Spirit has called me to do. And look what he says. He concludes, convinced of this, verse 25. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He's convinced of his call that his life in the body for Christ means being for others' progress and joy in faith. Listen, you are bound in Christ to others. There is a necessary place that Jesus has tied you to. What is Jesus asking you to do for others there? Have you asked your Lord? Or are you only thinking what's better for you? There is a necessary place, a necessary people that God has called you to. Will you be in Christ there and for them. In June 1939, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his life already noted for his opposition to Adolf Hitler, escaped Nazi Germany. Friends in the United States found a way to get him out, and he arrived in New York City where he could teach and wait out the war that seemed imminent. He was restless, internally disturbed. He found no peace in the peace of New York City, and he wrestled with God and wrote this in his journal on July the 8th, 1939. I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I shall have no right to take part in the restoration of Christian life in Germany after the war unless I share the trials of this time with my people. Better or necessary? Convinced of his call, to his people so that they could be the church. He boarded the last ship back to Germany. Shortly after he returned back, Germany invaded Poland. World War II began. Bonhoeffer gave the next few years calling German Christians to the way of Jesus in a world gone mad, serving as a double agent with the German Secret Service, trying to help Jews escape Nazi oppression, and he became part of the plot to overthrow Hitler. In 1943, he was arrested. And on April the 9th, 1945, he was hanged. And the war ended a month later. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul, Bonhoeffer, faithful men and women in history, in the building up of our church family, in your life, have discerned the difference between better and necessary. They knew their identity and their hope in Christ. They knew their gifting and their call was necessary to build up the church. This is the call, not for superheroes or super saints. It is for every believer of every age, 
of every people, group, and culture in all the necessary places and assignments of life? Are we seeing our necessary place? Are we discerning what is necessary there? Let's pray together. Friends, let's come before God's throne wherever we're sitting. May be very aware of the necessary things that have to happen in a little while here or may even be happening as we speak. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for the wisdom to discern the necessary places and the necessary things. I want, Lord, would you forgive us where we have only sought what is better for us? Forgive us, O oh God, where only seeking what's better for us has wrecked our, our homes, it's wrecked relationships, it's interrupted the advance of your goodness in the world because we've only been thinking about us. Forgive us, Lord. And speak to us by your Spirit and show us the necessary place and the necessary way in which we must build up others. Because to live is Christ and to die will be gain. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for an eternal hope that is ours and a present necessary call that is ours as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So can we talk about this together and pray about it with others? Can we get practical with one another and start living this together to be the church? Here's our question that we want you to wrestle with together with others. What is needed for you to embrace the necessary call of God on your life? What is necessary what is needed for you to embrace the necessary call of God on your life. Kids, adults, seniors, we've all got a necessary place. What do we need? May the Lord bless you and keep you, inspire your conversation, fill you with your spirit to make you able to live out what the spirit of God teaches you. And may God be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. Amen.